Welcome to the Eater Upsell, part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. This is Amanda Clute, the editor-in-chief of Eater. Sitting right across from me is Daniel Janine. Yeah, roaring, ready to go. So ready to go. He's so amped because it, it is, is the best food stories of May Day. It sure is. We have a bunch of our favorite stories. So much happened. Yeah. I mean, there's just one one story in particular that is just like story of the year. <laughs> That we're going to get to. But, you know, we got a good mix in here. We've got some lighthearted ones that move quickly. We've got a couple more serious ones that uh, have some real impact. Let's get into them. <laughs> Do we have any uh, any housekeeping? Um, subscribe to the show. Rate it. Pass it on. Tell your friends. Yep. Uh, let's get to the first story. All right. Disney World. Yeah. What about it? <laughs> so, okay. The Magic Kingdom mm-hmm. in Orlando, Florida, used to be dry. A dry theme park. Meaning no booze. No booze. And a few years ago, they introduced alcohol at the Be Our Guest restaurant. And now, as of now, they have alcohol at all the sit-down restaurants. Right. Huge news for Disney files out there. For parents. Huge. Huge. Not just parents. Fuck the parents. I've gone there as a 20-year-old. Really? Yeah. Or no, I must have been over 21 because I was... What the hell were you doing there? My dad's 50th. Okay. And they brought the whole family to Disney World. And I brought my now husband and we went to the Magic Kingdom and we were shocked and dismayed to learn that you could not drink anywhere on that park. Now you can. So we fought a little bit about this about this earlier, and I think I think this is just a desperation move, like we've seen with all the crazy stunts that McDonald's is pulling recently. They're just like, you know, how how can we compete? And you don't think it's so? It's not a stunt. It's alcohol. It's not yeah. like a unicorn. Right, but why now? But why now? Because the people want it, and they have competition. Everyone has been wanting alcohol at every event until since the beginning of time. Yeah, but now you have Universal Studios, you have the Harry Potter theme park, you have all these other competitors mm-hmm. coming into their turf, and they have a better experience for the adults because they have alcohol. So it's desperate. They are trying to compete. I don't think it's desperate. I think it is giving the people what they want. So why is that? Why I, is that desperate? Well, I just they had an idea of what the park should be. They decided it should be a dry park. Yes. And then at some point, things happened that forced them to compromise their original vision. I mean, do you think... Although, let's not talk about Walt Disney's original visions, because those (laughs) we don't want anymore. We don't need to get into that. I'm just... But, like, you don't think people can adapt their strategies for their business? You think you always have to stick with what your original plan was from the very get-go? Obviously, I'm a big fan of adapting strategies, but I think that this... Is not a strategy. This is a, if we you are get a kid-friendly park. If you and get that feedback from no your boost. audience over and over and over again, this is the one thing that they want. Why wouldn't you want to give it to them? I don't think that they needed a bunch of surveys to tell them that. I think that they saw all these other parks doing well, and maybe I would guess doing better. And so they're like, "Shit, we finally need to do this thing that we've been holding out on doing for a long time." You know kind of like McDonald's serving breakfast. You know what it might also be? What? The growth and appreciation for good food and drink over the last decade. Like now you go to Thanks, Disney Eater. World. <laughs> Thank you, Eater. Thank you very much, Eater. Now you go to Disney World and it's not just shit food. It's real. They have really good food. You have to search it out. Please check out Eater's Guide to Disney World that I played a huge part in writing. Wow, two Eater plugs <laughs> in the Disney segment. There's good food there now. And they realize that people with their good food want good drink. Mm-hmm. And you're depriving them by not doing it. And you're behind the times. Like, it's a very... So, I don't... I, I get that. I think Retro that that is a, way of doing business. That is seeing it through rose-colored glasses. I don't think so. Uh, I think do it's you remember realistic. that scene in in The Godfather 
when they're all they're having some big family meeting and they're saying, you know, everyone's making a killing off heroin, uh-huh. you know. And then he says, "No, that's We're not. not go there. That's not where we go. That's, we don't go it's there. It's not the same. <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of the same. It's not a strategic maneuver. Like they always it is absolutely a strategic. They maneuver. always knew that alcohol would do well. It was a conscious decision not to offer I their think, audience. I bet over the years people have been clamoring for it more, and now they have other options. Now they're just like the world sucks so much that we need. Booze. Yeah, maybe 2018 drove everybody over the edge. They really just need a goddamn drink. Okay. We'll agree to disagree. One of the funniest stories of the month involves I'm let you say this one involves a graduation cake from Publix, and we've brought on Adam Musa from our engagement team to talk about it. Uh, so Adam, basically, a mom bought a summa cum laude cake for her son for his graduation. What happened? Well, uh, she ordered it through the public's uh, online cake ordering system, (laughs) and that has a built-in profanity filter. And when she tried to write, uh, congrats, Jacob, summa cum laude, class of 2018, the system took issue with one of those words, (laughs) one three-letter word, C-U-M, which is, I guess, just built into its list of, like, profanity words. Mm -hmm. And it would not actually let her submit this thing. It kept uh, replacing C-U-M with uh, three dashes. (laughs) And even though she wrote a very long uh, note in the cake notes for the order saying, this is ridiculous. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why it's being censored. My son is graduating summa cum laude and it won't let me say cum in the thing. So please just do it correctly. Uh, Anyway. So, so the human who read that note was like, nah. No. So cake day comes. She looks at the cake. It says, congrats, Jacob. Summa, dash, dash, dash. Laude, class of 2018. So the human who has read this thing has piped the icing on and has done three very neat dashes on the cake. Uh, Do you think the human just didn't know it was a Latin phrase? Honestly, I, I don't know what is going through a person's <laughs> mind. I, I don't know if maybe they have had this sort of thing drilled into them that like like whatever do prints not out, yeah. you just do it. Which I mean is very fair. I can imagine a big company like this being like, you must write exactly what's right. on there. Right. Actually, that's otherwise the opposite could happen, and you end up doing a dirty cake, and you get in trouble. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's something we haven't actually looked into. Is it printed out in the way like with the dashes, or are they instructed? Yeah, the, the frost. It prints or what with, it, it prints what with they the dashes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now I got to say though, my favorite, like hands down, my favorite part of this story is kind of the media frenzy that that <laughs> ensued. Uh, so we reported on it. Many other publications reported on it, but nobody really got. And we're obviously doing it on this podcast now. Nobody really got into why this is a bad word. Right. And if you personally <laughs> didn't happen to be someone with a filthy mind. And didn't know that this is that that cum is a profane uh, synonym for semen. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I'm saying semen on on a <laughs> it's company gotta podcast. Happen. It's got to happen. It's got to happen. Like I'm the first person to say it on either <laughs> upsell. Um, if you don't know that, 
you would be left scratching your head by this entire story. But the Washington Post didn't explain it. We didn't even explain it. Like, we did not get into the oh, gutter with this. Oh, you mean no one yeah, explained yeah, yeah. what the word Yeah, if you means. didn't know, if you, didn't, it, you could be looking at this saying, well, why is cum bad? <laughs> right. why, why would that even be considered? This whole story is, oh, my, oh my stars, any, any it is very is... confusing. <laughs> well, that was one funny thing about the story. She was embarrassed to have to explain why it was censored to her mother. To her 70-year-old mm-hmm. mother. <laughs> she had I bet the seven-year-old knew. I bet she I, knew, I don't right? believe that a lady of that age yes. has like somehow magically avoided avoided that word for so long. I mean, perhaps she's you been don't like, say they've it, been but... hyphenating my cakes forever. I know. She's like, <laughs> the woman said, "Oh, I had to explain this yeah. embarrassing word to my seven-year-old mother and my eighteen-year-old son." It's like, mm, I mean, the eighteen-year-old they know. Also, yeah. He says he's humiliated by this. I don't believe that. I don't no. believe that there is any eighteen-year-old male who would not find this completely funny. I'm sure it's humiliating to have to have the convo with your mom I don't want to have about this it. with mom at all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so wait, quick, have you seen people, have you seen screen grabs of anyone on Twitter uh, who didn't know what it meant? No, no, like you because everybody I follow is disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> um, so nobody, for me, it was, it was, the beauty of this story is just being able to abbreviate it as Publix cum cake. Yeah, That's like the shorthand for the story. <laughs> and so to be able to legitimately just use such a gross turn of phrase, just and, <laughs> well, and, yeah. like headline stuff. So people saying that Publix wouldn't put cum on a cake. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess the best part is the media side where all these reporters get to have a lot of fun yeah, with it. Yeah, it's just headline writers having a tremendous <laughs> amount of fun well, and saying really awful things <laughs> that would otherwise be fully prohibited by the style. Well, guide. and on the Colbert show, didn't he make a bunch of cupcakes? Yeah, so cupcakes? There's, now, there's now footage online of Stephen Colbert holding a cupcake that has in lovely cursive, like <laughs> piped onto it, cum. And just holding it up, and then he delicately licks a little bit of the icing <laughs> off of the cake. Well, you—that's what you said to me this morning. You were like, some version of the thing that excites me most about it is just I can walk into the office and say "come" yeah. a bunch of times. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not—I'm not sitting here like busting to to talk like this on a daily basis. But as a person who is not, listen, if you if you want like semen-related puns, I. I, puns Please are a specialty. follow Adam so, on Twitter. <laughs> I, my Twitter handle used to be uh, called Mostly Filth. And then, uh, fun fact, uh, as I was job hunting for this job, actually, I changed it to the very professional Adam James. So, so. Amanda, would you have considered hiring a social media uh, manager <laughs> with the Twitter <laughs> handle Mostly Filth? I don't, it might have given me pause, but I don't know. <laughs> he might have still gotten the job. Well, I still managed to sneak in, so thank <laughs> but, you for that. I mean, any every once in a while, a story like this comes along to bring delight to everyone. So, happy May. Okay, I have three stories for you. Okay. And you have to tell me which one you care about the most yep. and which one you care about the least. Okay, great. Story number one. There is a restaurant in Tampa that only serves foods that start with the letter C. <laughs> it's pretty good. Story. I like all Florida stories, especially <laughs> Tampa stories. So story number two, there are now LaCroix-themed bathing suits. Love that story. Story number three, guests played beer pong at the royal wedding reception. Don't care. Wow. I mean, I care a little bit. Like, yeah. I, like, I, I, follow, I like the royal wedding news. I love beer pong. Um, yeah, okay, so yeah. Let's, Dan let's... loves all <laughs> beer games. Yeah, I love beer games. Like total actual bro. You wouldn't know it when you meet Dan, but like he's a real bro. No, no, bro, no, no, bro's no, no, no. Down. I like th- I like doing things that bros do, but non-ironically. 
Yeah, but I don't think that makes me a bro. Okay, you just you just participate in, in bro activities. You can ride horses though, being a jockey. Does that work? Mm. No. All right. So what do you love but about But you're also like wearing the jockey costume and have <laughs> <laughs> like the helmet on. <laughs> yeah, I guess sure. That's fair. But okay. I'm not a jockey. So my favorite story is the LaCroix bathing suits because it's news you can use. Like, How can you use it? I want to get one. You want one? Yeah, I might get one. Wow. Why? I think I want the it's a, it's a one piece and you can get it in your favorite favorite flavor of LaCroix. And then there's shorts, there's swim trunks, so I could get that too. Anyway, it's it's like very basic bitch yeah. and would be a funny joke outfit to wear this summer. Can you wear it more than once? With different groups if you're trying to make the same joke more than once. <laughs> also, now that I have clicked on this LaCroix story, and now it's following me on Instagram. So every day I'm reminded of this goddamn bathing suit. <laughs> Does that make you more or less likely to uh, to get one? More. Yeah, because now you keep <laughs> I can't resist it. the Insta What ad. is your favorite flavor? Pamplemousse. And they know. They know. They keep. Like, they advertise you the Pamplemousse one? Every day it's like buy the pink bathing suit. I'm like, oh, God, it's only like 20 bucks, I think. I don't know how much it is. But I might, I, I might end up with one I always by worry the end with, of the summer. So I think you need to get it very soon because I think it will get stale. Yeah, yeah. You got to be Memorial Day weekend like on it. Yeah. So right. if you don't already have it, forget we'll it. We'll check back in. Next up, uh, a lot has happened in the world of Mario Batali since the original piece came out. I am in the studio with Monica Burton, who covers restaurants on the national level, and Serena Dye, who is the editor of Eater New York and one of the editors of the original Mario Batali work. Hi, team. Hi. Hi. Uh, Serena, I was hoping, could you give us a little rundown of what has happened in the world of Mario Batali news since the original uh, allegations broke? Yeah, sure. So when we initially presented Batali with the allegations, he immediately was uh, moved away from his restaurant. So he stepped down immediately. um, And then the Chu immediately kind of put him on leave uh, and then eventually, you know, kicked him off completely. Um, And restaurants eventually... B&B, Battalion Bastianic Hospitality Group, has uh, something like two dozen restaurants across the country. They are now removing him from the company overall. So right now he's still financially involved in every single restaurant. So if you go to a restaurant that Mario Batali used to be a chef at right now, if you go right now, he is still financially benefiting from it. So what's going to happen? They're trying to buy him out, essentially, so that he he's out of it. It's very complicated because each restaurant has a different partnership set mm-hmm. up. So it's kind of one by one. Very complicated. Supposedly July 1, they announced recently that July 1 is the final date that they're going to – he's going to be completely removed. Right. Um, but so- in terms of, of uh, the stories that were written, in the Eater New York story, which was the first one that broke about him, there were there were four accounts from four separate women, right? Yes. Or three? Was it yes, four? there are four women. And right. since then – Bunch of other women have come out accusing him of sexual misconduct, and even more recently, uh, there are two incidents that the NYPD is investigating for him criminally. Mm-hmm. Um, these two women have pretty similar cases, actually, where uh, they were drinking with Batali, or maybe they're at a party of some sort. Uh, one of the women, she woke up and she saw she had these like cuts on her legs, and um, she thought she'd been drugged, and she saw like something that looked like semen, um, and so she had been with Batali, um, and so she thinks that... She, she basically accused him of, of raping her. Um, and NYPD is investigating that based on the 60 Minutes investigation. Right, so how, how does 60 Minutes uh, play into this? So 60 Minutes, they... You know, this has been a big story, and they talked to some more women, they based around the spotted pig, and they talked to her, this woman, and she is making this accusation. And they went to NYPD and said, what are you going to do about this? Because she initially had reported it uh, to the police. Yeah. Um, and then... 
ended up not pursuing it for one reason or another. And then it turned out once that, of course, once that happened, everyone's like calling the NYPD. And it turns out they're also investigating another case uh, where this woman kind of blacked out and then she woke up and Batalia was having sex with her. And she also thinks she had been drugged. So now the police are investigating two cases. And this is kind of the kind of most major uh, the major incidents and the the most major allegations that Batali has had against him. He's denying these assault allegations, um, but for the other stuff that he did, the other allegations up to that, he says they basically match up to his behavior. But these craziest criminal ones, um, potentially criminal ones, he is saying, I didn't do that. Where is he denying these things? Um, Just in the press. Yeah. Yeah, people, ha- I mean, he's been out and about in town, actually, going to, like, literally NYC's hottest restaurants. Uh, but he hasn't been speaking out publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, but when these people write these stories, they reach out to him, obviously, and he is denying. Uh, Monica, how how has this played out on the on the national scene? Uh, I know that his Las Vegas restaurants are all closing, three of them. Yeah. So last week, May twenty fifth, um, a Las Vegas paper, the Las Vegas Review Journal, reported that all of Batali's restaurants in Las Vegas closed. Um, so while Batali stepped away from all of his restaurants, they're still run by B&B Hospitality. And last week, B&B sent a letter to all 300 employees of those restaurants saying that they would be closing. Um, Are they closed right now? They're closing on July 27th. All of them? All three. So they're not closed yet. Um, mm-hmm. And... I think the reason they are closing is because while they were operated by B&B Hospitality, they're located at the Venetian and the Palazzo, and the corporation that owns those casinos decided to end their working agreement with B&B Hospitality. So it wasn't a decision made by B&B to close the restaurants. It was Las Vegas Sands who said, we don't Mm -hmm. want to have these restaurants here anymore. This isn't an indication that the restaurants weren't doing well. This was purely a political decision. No, they were there in Las Vegas at these casinos, they yeah. were probably doing great. Um, it's just, uh, seems to be a way to keep up appearances. Um, and they just didn't want to be associated with them anymore. Serena, so, does it seem crazy that the first restaurants, Batali restaurants, to actually close are ones in Las Vegas? No, no, I don't think so, because Monica makes a good point about these other people being in control, right? It's like these hotels and casinos who kind of can kind of say, I don't want this part of my brand anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, similarly, the spotted pig guy, Ken Friedman, really big New York City restaurateur, also accused of sexual misconduct, some pretty bad things. Um, his relation, Him and April Bloomfield had a restaurant and a hotel here uh, at the Pod Hotel called Salvation Taco, and they're actually no longer involved in that. It wasn't explicitly said that the, the hotel decided to end relationships with Ken because of these allegations, uh, but it, I, I mean, it was kind of put next to this story where the mm-hmm. the misconduct allegations happened, and then now they're no longer involved in their rest, this restaurant. Um, and then, you know, the New York Times came out with a story where one of their really huge restaurants, the Breslin and John Dory Oyster Bar in the Ace Hotel here in New York, and they were reporting that that contract might get renegotiated as well. Um, so you see these other people who have control over that saying, maybe I don't want to have a relationship with these people anymore. So in that sense, it, it makes sense. Um, it really, his brand is so strong here. And we've heard from people that maybe the New York City restaurants aren't doing as well. And so I wouldn't be surprised if in other cities, 
that he is less associated with those restaurants. So like the company, he's an investor in a lot of these L.A. restaurants uh, that Nancy Silverton started. Um, and I think she's more associated with those restaurants there. So I, I have no idea how they are doing, but um, he's so strongly associated with these restaurants. But he also is an owner in them and he's not really working with people other than other partners. Mm-hmm. And, and like even the Babo building, um, I, I think like someone related to the restaurant owns that building. So it's not like they're going to the landlord's not going to kick them out. So there was also supposed to be um, an eatery in Las Vegas. Um, and that is apparently still going forward. It's really unclear what's happening there. But that might still happen. Um, it's also maybe worth, no- worth noting that B&B still wants to do stuff in Las Vegas and I'm sure once Batali is fully divested, it won't be too difficult for them to do that, even though we know Joe Bastianich isn't the best guy either. Reportedly. <laughs> Reportedly. <laughs> we don't know this. Yeah, I think they're also changing the name, too. I mean, they have a lot of self-reflection to do here and what kind of brand they want to be now, now that Batali's out of it, and can they actually manage to capitalize on what they already have in a way that make sense and that people are going to believe like they have a big public reckoning to do here to convince people that they're okay cool well thank you guys so much thanks dan thanks dan thanks for having us so next up uh, our good friends and colleagues over at vox.com now have a new netflix show it is called explained yeah it comes out every week so unlike most of netflix where they just launch everything at once this is like you get your three so you can binge watch but then you have to wait yeah, you every can get week. a sense of what it is you get a sense what i like about it also is that they're 18 minutes yeah so you don't feel bad binging the whole entire thing which i did last night so there was one on monogamy where you learn that basically humans are trying to do something completely unnatural in the animal world which is stay with one person whoa spoiler yeah. There's a lot of complexity to it. You should watch it. I'm just saying that's the gist. There's one about the racial wealth gap, which is super interesting. Um, and there's one about CRISPR and designer babies, which is really interesting. Wow. Yeah. Those sound like fun topics. I think designer babies is my favorite one. So go to that one first. I think it's number two. Next up, Mondelez, mm-hmm. which owns Oreos and a bunch of other um, processed packaged snack foods, bought Tate's. A beloved maker of cookies. Yeah. I think they're from here in New York. They are. They started you on- You see them all over the Hamptons, right? I think they started on Long Island, yeah. Uh, thin, crunchy cookies. People like them. I think they're fine. Uh, what was interesting about the story to me is that there were a lot of takes on the internet being like, oh my God, they're going to ruin Tate's. <laughs> it's like, our, our. I think Daniela from our team's take was good where she's just like, please don't ruin Tate's. But like, Oreo is a great cookie. Right. If I would trust anyone with my indie cookie, it'd be the Oreo people. Like, yeah. don't just hate on Mondelez because they're huge and make, like, Chips Ahoy. Like, for people who like Chips Ahoy, Chips Ahoy is good. I think Oreo is a very replicatable cookie. I don't mean by anyone else besides them. I think they make the best Oreo. Yeah. But uh, the cookie that they make lends itself to um, to factory production. You don't think Tate's does? Tate's is mass-produced. I think the excitement surrounding Tate's is that it was a beloved cookie when it was probably just a shop. Mm-hmm. And to go into a 7-Eleven and see it next to bullshit cookies like Chips Ahoy, which I actually used to love, but I don't love. I don't know mm-hmm. if they've gotten worse or I've gotten better or whatever it is. Either way. <laughs> or you're both the same. <laughs> to see it next to Chips Ahoy is, is 
staggering because it is so much better and it is so much better than a packaged cookie should be mm-hmm. that is available in 7-Eleven. So I think that all these people who loved Tate's and especially all these New Yorkers, you're going to house apartment parties and mm-hmm. stuff. It, it's like an actually good thing to bring mm-hmm. to uh, to someone's home for a meal. And now you think it's like. No, I just think that that they were they were so thrilled to have that available to them yeah. in convenience stores that wouldn't typically be associated with such quality products. Mm-hmm. Um, and and now, I don't know. I mean, I think people love to freak out whenever anything big buys anything I know. small. I wonder if part of it is also that like Oreo's marketing and expansion strategy or Mondelez's strategy for Oreo has been like really unhinged <laughs> lately. Like, I don't yeah. know if you've seen the new flavors. We had the, that like cherry cola one in the office with yeah. Pop Rocks in it. And like, just like a lot of gross novelty Stunty flavors. Yeah, constant string of dumb one-offs. And I, yeah, like stupid one. Like you have these perfect cookies, and like I would argue a lot of great variations on it, like the thin and uh, the mini and the mm-hmm. double stuff. Like those are great. Don't make the peeps one. Maybe people fear that they could go nuts with their tates. Yeah, I agree. I think. Well, I think that Oreo, especially to you, clearly, and I really think that this this whole story is how does Amanda Clute feel about Oreo? <laughs> but uh, I want the world to know. Yeah. It is funny. I mean, some brands seem to be playing uh, tennis without the net a little bit. You mm-hmm. know, like they just have somebody in a room who just thinks of crazy things and they do them. I don't think that's that hard. I think they haven't done any marketing stunts that have been smart in the way that like Wendy's or Taco Bell have. Right. Maybe people don't believe in Oreos. People really love Tate's. Uh, we'll see. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll put see. a pin on this one and, we'll come and back see where in a it year. Come, yeah, yeah. We'll, do we'll a check taste, in on taste them. us. <laughs> well, yeah. No, but the big problem, I guess, speaking to your point, is if we see cherry cola Tate's, like <laughs> we'll know that this is a, a ship without a captain. Yeah. I can't believe how many fucking analogies I've used here, but uh, <laughs> it's really good. Okay. Uh, all right, so it's that time in the show where we're going to talk about pop culture. So we are bringing on our pop culture guru, Greg Morbido. Hi, hey. Greg. Hey, Dan. Hey, Amanda. How are you guys doing? Doing really well. Uh, the first show I obviously want to talk about is Sweet Bitter. Yeah, you know, um, this is the biggest TV surprise of the year for me, actually. I wow. think I'll officially say that. For those who don't know what Sweet Bitter is, it's a star's half-hour drama. Um, it's a short series, just six episodes per season, based on Stephanie, Stephanie Dandler's book of the same name which is about a young girl who comes to New York and doesn't really know anything and gets a job at a restaurant that is loosely based on the Union Square Cafe, uh, Danny Meyer's restaurant. Amanda, you read the book, Sweet Bitter, right? I attempted to read the book and I could not get past the first chapter because I just Uh, could not, I could not get on board with her writing. Wow, same. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, but I could see how the story is good enough that it's a good show. Well, I don't know. Yeah. What, what's your take, Greg? I haven't seen it yet. I've not met a single person who liked the book, even though it was a bestseller. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so the author of the book is the creator of the show, which is kind of unusual. And she's also one of the writers and she wrote the pilot and everything. And wow. um, it's like just a pretty good, entertaining soap opera set in the restaurant world. But the thing that tips it over the edge for me is that they get the details of a restaurant, I mean, they get them right. And it's kind of right. better than I've ever seen that in like a movie or a TV show oh, wow. before. So I think that there's sort of a value there that people that have worked in the restaurant industry will will dig. And also, you know, it's about this sort of ingenue character who comes into the New York restaurant world, 
doesn't know anything, like she's so bad at everything, and then she gets sucked in and she meets all these intriguing people and, you know, she has these relationships and these romantic relationships, but they're really doing a very good job of, like, making her a likable character, like someone who you want to succeed and she learns, you know, really quickly. It's just exceeding my, whatever expectations I had for it. I'll put it that way. So Because she had that restaurant experience, you think she took extra care with the the making of the show. Yes. And um, it's it's interesting. I, I talked to her a little bit about it uh, earlier this month. She had the person who trained her at Union Square Cafe train all the staff on how to like be waiters oh. and um, all the people who are playing the chefs, even though they don't have like speaking roles, like they sent them to culinary school for two weeks so that they would move around the kitchen authentically. <laughs> so um, it's kind of like this surprise because, you know, something we like to joke about a lot. It's like even if you see like a movie like Chef with a John Favreau movie that like Roy Choi, you know, he was like a consultant on. Like they just do things in that in those movies that like just wouldn't happen in real life. You right. know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember even with with Burnt that Bourdain consulted on, like some things would happen and you're just like, what? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I feel like it's sort of a new era maybe where like, you know, if this show's a hit, um, I, I don't think it's been picked up for a second season yet, but if it's a hit and, you know, these those details actually make the show better, maybe, maybe we'll see better representations of kitchens on TV. So it gets the Greg Morabito stamp of approval? It gets the Greg Morabito stamp of approval, yes. Anything uh, anything recently not get the Greg Morabito stamp of approval? Ooh, yeah, what don't you like right now? That's a good question. You know, there's a new, there's a new show on Bravo called uh, Beats and Bites, I think that's the name of it. <laughs> oh my God. Wait, be- <laughs> yeah. Beats and Bites? It's called it, Beats and Bites. Isn't that and, you your know, uh, DJ like, name, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good DJ name. What's What's your actual DJ name? It, it's Food and Movies. Food and Movies. Yeah. Sorry. Beats and Bites. Food and Movies. Is, are you Same a thing. DJ, Dan? Well, I've you know I, I own a turn ta- a set of turntables. <laughs> he, oh, cool. He's he has been paid to. Do I've been gigs. paid to spin some to spin some tracks. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, yeah. you guys need to do some sort of live event that can start or end. With oh, we've I've I've Dan on the ones and twos, <laughs> pitching it. Yeah. Um, okay. So what is what is Beats and Bites? Beats and Bites is I, I was like not aware of these guys. They're called the Patash Twins. They are these kind of <laughs> funny. They have like glasses. They're kind of these short guys with glasses. They're like you kind of. They're twins. They're identical twins. And one of them plays like the trombone, and the other one plays like the trumpet. And they're like jazz musicians, and they're kind, they kind of look like cartoon characters, and. They're kind of an iconic, you know, I guess in the jazz world or somebody, people are like, oh, those guys. And I guess like many musicians, they like to eat food and like to go and hang out at restaurants. So this is a new show where they go and they discover, you know, new foods. They bring their musician friends to hang out and have dinner. And then they, you know, Tom Colicchio, they'll have dinner with Tom Colicchio. Oh my God, Tom makes a cameo? Uh, yeah, in the pilot, and then they'll, um, you know, they'll go and hang out with like random people that were on Top Chef nine years ago, and oh say like, "Wow, you're, you know, you're a genius." And they say, "Well, not as good as you guys are jazz geniuses or whatever." Anyway, it's just kind of like one of those things where you're just like, "Why are they making shows like this anymore?" You know? Yeah. Oh my god, it's so funny because with restaurant <laughs> critics, I always talk about how. 
you read the glorious side of restaurant criticism, but you you don't see all the bad meals that they've had and all the restaurants that they didn't even review because they weren't interesting enough. And really yes. for your job, you watch all kinds of terrible shows. Oh man. <laughs> that never yes. even like it never even goes anywhere. No, it doesn't go. It doesn't I go on the site, it doesn't go in the newsletter. Heard of this. <laughs> well, it's just that kind of a thing where it's like there are so many different places you can watch shows now. There's so many different people making stuff now. There's so many interesting stories to tell. It's like, do we really need like another thing that's like, guess what? Musicians like food, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, it kind of gets to this like point where, I, I mean, maybe this is like elitist of me or something, but you know, when somebody's a host of a TV show just because they like food and they're enthusiastic about food, you know, I'm kind of like, well, no shit. Every human being on the planet Earth likes food. You know, mm -hmm. like what what are you bringing to this? Do you want to talk about what happened with the chew? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, this is the time of the year when uh, all the networks are announcing which shows are getting you know picked up for, for future seasons and which ones are not. And uh, the big surprise is that after s almost seven years, ABC is canceling its daytime culinary talk show, The Chew. Hmm. So... I mean, I can't think of a bigger cancellation than that in, in that sort of world of, like, you know, food shows on, on networks like that. Like, um, mm -hmm. you know, there's been a lot of – it's kind of taken some hits over the last year because Daphne Oz, who was one of the original co-hosts, left last August. And then Mario Batali got kicked off of the show when all of the allegations of sexual misconduct mm -hmm. came out into the open back in December. So, I mean, Mario was definitely the biggest star on the show since day one. And the ratings started to drop a bit. Um, and, you know, I think it's actually kind of easy to paint this as like a failure because of that somehow. And the person who I was interacting with at ABC was very clear to be like, this did not have anything to do with Mario. This is just a business decision. They want to give that hour over to Good Morning America. But, you know, as I see it, it's like, they filmed something like 1,200 episodes of The Chew, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you ever get to a point where you make more than 1,000 episodes of any TV show, like, that's a hit, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, I think it's just sad for Carla Hall, who's like, you know, an eater favorite, yeah. um, that she's not going to be on TV every day, you know? I think what was surprised, most surprising for me about this was that Carla Hall said, I think it was a couple weeks ago, that she wasn't that they weren't in any kind of hurry to replace Batali and they were really right, coming right, together. Like, we're doing great. Coming together, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was sad. I mean, on the one hand, I think seven years is a long time for a show to be going on. Like, that's a lot. And as you said, like 1,200 episodes is a crazy amount. But also, if you look at The View and some of those other daytime talk shows, they've been on for even longer. So in that's that, a good point, yeah. For that kind of show, it wouldn't be crazy for them to go another seven seasons. It's funny because I, I was never like, you know, a huge Chew like fan. I mean, I, I had no opinion on it, to be honest with you. Like, it's on at the doctor's office. You're like, oh, <laughs> what, what are they cooking, you know? Um, but the few episodes that I did catch post-Batali, I kind of thought it had a sort of more lighter, more, I don't know, positive vibe because the three people that left are kind of the three most relatable people on the show. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So I guess it's a little bit sad that that iteration didn't didn't last for very long. But I don't know. It's kind of a good vibe show. And I, hopefully those talented people will find other other places. Maybe they'll give Carla a slot on um, GMA. Mm -hmm. She'd be good at that. That would be great. You know? Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Greg. Thanks for talking yeah, pop culture. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. 
All right, so next up, we're talking about one of the biggest food stories of May. And we brought on our reporter, Stephanie Tudor, to talk about it. It's about salads. Steph, what happened? There is an attack (laughs) on chopped salads in New York City, and it's unacceptable. An attack? An Mm -hmm. attack. Basically, Just Salad, which is a chain with um, multiple locations around the city, has... I don't, actually, they didn't even announce it. The Post gloriously called them out for stopping chopping at many of their shops. Let's say that five times fast. <laughs> and there was outrage. Many people were outraged. For people who don't know this chopped salad, can you explain it, this technique? of Yeah, because I think it is kind of a uniquely East Coast phenomenon mm-hmm. um, where basically you order a salad at a salad bar, put in whatever ingredients you so choose, and then... The person behind the counter chops it up into tiny, perfect little bite-sized morsels. Over the last at least ten years, every salad place you go into in New York, they do this thing. Yeah, it's and part then of they the mix, fabric they of New mix York City. in the dressing for you, so then your salad is perfectly prepped. I mean, we're all sitting at our desks eating this salad. We're just shoveling it into our mouths. Mm-hmm. We want every bite to have everything in it. No one has time to cut up chicken Let's or be add serious. your own dressing or add your own dressing. It's just mm-hmm. you know. It's too much to ask. So when the outrage hit, what did Just Salad have to say in their defense? They said, quote, it's a better experience categorically. And that's from the CEO. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who, yeah. I mean, the, his, he defends it. As he, he says that the crazy acoustics of chopping. Too loud. Too loud. I think it's music to my ears. <laughs> <laughs> he calls it frantic and so allegedly there's confusion in the chopping process. I'm not exactly sure who's confused. <laughs> um, and Is it like an allergy thing? Are people worried about cross-contamination of like the radishes or chicken? I don't chicken think mentioned at all. No, it's um, just the acoustics. It's just the, the acoustics. The chaos. And, and they're claiming that at the stores where they've already eliminated chopping that they've seen a 20% increase in sales. Damn. Um, which he attributes to increased speed and, LOL, improved taste. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and your response is, how dare you? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's what they're doing is that they're pre-chopping the ingredients now. So so they'll be smaller to begin with. Correct. I don't think they'll be as small as a chopped salad. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, when I, I lived in San Francisco briefly, and it wasn't a thing there. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I suppose cities across the country are getting by without <laughs> chopped salads. Well, also Sweetgreen, which is our... I think you can make the case as our favorite salad chain does not chop. I don't know. If, I mean, it's not my favorite. It's not mine either. Wow. Yeah. Okay. You you are very um, no. Let's not make this vulnerable to marketing. No, okay. <laughs> Sweet Green is very good at marketing and coming across as this like kind of yuppie, eco friendly. Okay, let's move on. Chain. <laughs> well, I also just think that Sweet Green has more varied and newer ingredients than a lot of these other chains. Yeah, do. it's much more modern. Yeah. Like, if you go to, like, Just Salad or Chopped, feels almost retro. Their, their marketing is just bad. Their marketing is bad, but, like, I like that salad. Yeah. Like, I get it Chopped for is still bucks. chopping their salad, right? Chopped is chopping their salad. In fact, they totally trolled Just yes. Salad on Twitter and <laughs> put a photo of them chopping salads that said, been chopping since 2001 and not stopping anytime soon. <laughs> so now I'm a Chopped girl. All right. All right. Have you been going to Chopped now? Um, I have not yet been. 
I, I don't know, I like to support the bodegas too. And, mm. and get are bodegas chopping these bodegas days? Bodegas do chop, yeah. If they really came by it honestly and they were just like, listen, the lineup just takes too long, chopping takes a long time and use a lot of cutting boards, so we're not doing it anymore, would you be more okay with that? That is what they're saying. Yeah. No, they're saying it's improving taste, and there's a part where he says that the vegetables aren't being bruised as much. <laughs> That's, true. That's true. I mean, <laughs> he's coming up with a lot of arguments lot as of to why bullshit excuses. Why they're they're doing. I mean, this. I think it. It's I, so I think clear. what it boils down to is that twenty percent increase in sales from yeah, the same faster. Time. Yeah, I mean, they lost a customer in me, so. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for filling us in on this New York City salad catastrophe. Anytime. Every, everyone else in the country is going to be like, you guys are crazy. <laughs> How do you personally feel about these large state houses like the White House or the Royal Wedding releasing their menus to the public as some kind of press release? Oh, I think that's fun. It's not just a press release. It's like a, a piece of history. So you can go back and see what they were serving for Abraham Lincoln and onwards and onwards and see how like American dining changed or predilections changed. Yeah, that's a great point. I didn't think about it like that. And then if you look at the royal weddings and what they serve over time, you can see how those things change. Like this year, the cake was a big thing because everybody knew about it in advance and it was all organic and they used elderflower and mm -hmm. lemon. And so I think that's very much a sign of the times versus ingredients they might have used 10 years ago or maybe for Princess Di's wedding, they did something completely different that was very 90s. So you like it? Or was as she married in the 80s? I don't know, whatever. Yeah. So you like I like it, it as a historical as document. A record. Yeah. Yeah. Are are you reading through the individual menu items? I didn't look at this one, but I, I I might. I have looked at like some of the White House dinners, and also with Trump, it's always just funny, <laughs> like what he chooses to serve and to eat because he's really silly. Did you see the story where Giuliani was saying that Trump he likes, doesn't eat a bun? He's like Atkins. He likes to eat the one, just the bottom bun. Yeah, <laughs> but then Giuliani goes like. It's actually a pretty good way to eat a burger. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're trying to cut your carbs, like, all right. I got to say, I mean, for whatever, I don't know what the source of it was, but I have been one bunning or no bunning for almost my entire life. You have? Yeah, I have. <laughs> Dan. <laughs> not, if, not if, like, at a McDonald's or at, if I'm eating a burger as, like, an on-the-go quick thing. Not if I was sitting down in a nice like place. Like, at a restaurant? Like no, if no, we no, were... no, never okay. would, never would, never would. Okay, so never in public. Yeah, in public, in only in like a fast foody thing. Like I would take two burgers. Like Five Guys or something? Yeah, probably. We need five to know guys. more about this. Yeah, probably Five Guys. I so would Five not. Guys. At five Guys burgers and fries. I would eat forty uh, percent of the total bun that I was given. So you eat one burger, take the top bun off, have all the other ingredients on there. Yeah. Probably you fork, fork you and fork knife, and knife it. Fork and knife oh it. my god! Or See, or I was slide just thinking about how I'm going to get another email about making fun of you, but you are doing this to yourself. <laughs> so this is not me. Um, here's but my. It's it's unusual. <laughs> I don't think so for you to be eating burgers. I think burgers it's probably that just way. that my parents. Maybe even disrespectful. Is it a diet thing? Yeah, yeah. It was definitely a diet okay. thing from a young age. Okay, it's a diet thing. Yeah. I also had a little extra weight on me as I was. You know, I'm not a up. huge bagel fan mm -hmm. because growing up, my mom never ate bagels because she said they made you fat. So, like, mm -hmm. I get that. They but, might. like, a lifelong no top bun burger eating habit seems a little more dangerous. Sometimes, though, if I order a burger for delivery or something and I'm just like having a let loose moment, mm -hmm. I will just bite right down through the both buns. It's such an important part of the experience. And I enjoy it more because I don't always do it. 
Because you deprive yourself of the it's, top bun yeah. the rest of the time. Anyway. Do you then, like, if you pull the top <laughs> bun off, is, is it cheese or any of the toppings come with it? I would never let a topping remain on the bun. So I you pick the bun that is the not. shit out of okay. it and make sure it's all on the burger. And just fork and knife it. That is hugely important. Fork and knife. Do you fork and knife your pizza? Uh, no, with a pizza, there's no choice. Imagine just eating the cheese and the meat on top. I mean, I know you're Canadian, but you can never run for public office if anyone sees you do this. Trump does it. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. You uh, and Trump. <laughs> great. Anyway, I think the most ridiculous thing about the royal menu is to drink, guests will be served, blah, 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 made with the same elderflower syrup as used in the wedding cake. Man, they're really pimping this cake. Yeah. Well, the pimping the cake, really doubling, really going for elderflower, and like, you can tell that there are so many influences of what is currently cool in the dining world. Is elderflower cool, though? I think it was cool, like, four to five years ago. I'm talking more about it was repurposing. Cool, like, okay. And, oh, like recycling. Yeah, like the leftover elderflower buds from infusing <laughs> oh the God. cream for the cake will be using... All the cake trash made it into your cocktail. <clears throat> exactly. Well, that's what it is. And imagine, like, hearing that spiel from the fucking bartender. Like, <laughs> yeah, they just had all of them left over <laughs> as there's, like, 10 million bodyguards. And, yeah, know, we're infusing these bottles of vodka it's fine <laughs> yeah thank you so much for listening to the eater upsell uh production from the vox media podcast network mm-hmm. you know uh any 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 highlights for you just the cake i mean the cake summa cum cakey summa cum cakey and i'm gonna get that bathing suit the lacroix <laughs> if that didn't make it in <laughs> then it you guys boring, don't know what i'm talking about the story was nope <laughs> there's a lacroix bathing suit that amanda wants to buy and it follows her all over instagram yeah that is all we have for you this week. We are recording out of the Fox Media Podcast Studios in New York, New York. My name is Daniel Janine. That's Amanda Clute, editor-in-chief. And Fox Media's engineer is Miles Yule. Carrie Clements handles all of our bookings. And our executive producer is Maureen Genome Fitzgerald. Um, what Should we have a sign-off? No sign-off. I think we're good. Goodbye. Bye.